This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from the Book of Acts sermon series. In this series, we're diving deeper into how God has invited us into His mission, how the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of the church and is active now, and how the local church is God's primary method to change the world. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Good morning. Hey, whether you're here in the room or online, we're so glad that you're with us today. Today, we're continuing in a series that kicked off a few weeks ago called Devoted. We're looking at the very first church. Right after the day of Pentecost, there were these 3,000 brand new Christians living the life of Jesus together in Acts chapter two. And we're looking at what were the things that defined this church and how does it apply to who we are right here in Reno in 2022. So if you have your Bibles, go over to Acts chapter two. And we're gonna be in verse 42. Says they, these brand new Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Talking about taking communion or the Eucharist or Lord's Supper, we're gonna do that uh, later in the service together. Uh, To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So there was this sense of God's presence, this evidence of God's power. Look at this next little phrase. We're gonna, this is gonna really inform our message today. All the believers were together. There was this incredible unity. And, and this unity then spilled over into generosity, which we learned about last week. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. And then again, we see this picture of their unity. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So these guys were loving, living life together. And it says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. And so today I wanna talk to you, what does it mean uh, when we talk about uh, this early church? I, I would say this, every healthy church and every healthy Christian uh, is, finds themselves devoted to Christian love and unity. Christian love and unity marks every healthy church and every healthy Christian. Well, this is just a theme that we see, whether it's from the teachings of Jesus or the model of the early church or, or, or the other epistles in the New Testament. This theme that, 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 that one of the primary marks of a healthy Christian, one of the primary marks of a healthy church is the way in which they, they live in love and unity with one another. We see it again in Acts 4.32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Again, we see this unity language, and again, we see the unity flows into generosity. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They shared everything they had. There was this incredible sense of unity. There was this incredible sense of love. And and so really, this just reaffirms the teaching of Jesus. That when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with your whole self and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, that's what life's all about, loving God and loving people. And then, and then the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 just spells it out plainly that no matter all the great stuff that you think you're, you might be doing for God, no matter how much money you give away, he says, even to, if you're willing to die for your faith, he says that if it's not driven by love, if I 
don't love well, all of that stuff becomes meaningless. The message of the New Testament is, is that the, the church of Jesus, if we don't really love one another well, it all just becomes a big sham. It, it, it all, all of its meaning is lost. It's this incredible priority that for a healthy church, for a healthy Christian, to, to devote oneself to living lives of love and unity with other Christians. And here's the thing. I don't know if you know. This is not easy stuff. Some Christians are irritating. <laughs> Have you met an irritating Christian? If you haven't met one, probably are one. This is, this is not easy stuff. This, is, this has never been easy. Here's what I want you to know. And I want you to think about this when you read the New Testament. When you read these letters to the, the church at, at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, the church at Philippi, the book of Philippians, the church at Rome, book of uh, the Romans, Colossae, et cetera. When you read these letters to these actual real life churches at a real place, at a real time, you've got to understand the, the reason that, that, that the apostles are writing these things is because these are things they needed to hear because they weren't very good at it. Let me show this to you. Philippians um, chapter two and, and verse two. Let me show this to you. So Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. So again, unity language. Having the same love. Again, language of unity. Being one in spirit and of one mind. And so in one sentence, he challenges them to live in unity together four different times. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Most relational problems you will have in your life is because one or both of you are either being selfish or one or both of you are thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, rather in humility, we'll talk more about that, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So why was Paul writing this to this actual church? He was writing this to this actual church because there was at least one instance where they were really struggling to be devoted to Christian love and unity. There were these two ladies, we see two chapters later, Philippians 4 verse 2. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche. These are these two ladies in the church. To be of the same mind in the Lord, again, unity language. He says, I plead for these two ladies to get along, to be in unity. And here's the thing, the, these ladies were great ladies. He says, I ask you that my true companion help these women since they have contended. Here's the one thing we gotta see. One is, is these folks might need some help to live in unity. They've been struggling to work it out their own selves. And so you might need to come alongside and love them through it. Help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. He says, man, God's used these ladies along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers or whose names are in the book of life. He says, these are great ladies, but, but, they're, but they're not living in unity. And so what we see is this, this has never been easy. This is, this, Christians being devoted to love and unity has never just come nat naturally. It's, it's always been this choice of, of, of begging the Holy Spirit of God to help us to do it and then choosing to pursue love and unity. Christians by nature just are, have a propensity to divide. I read a story that I thought just painted a cool picture of this. There was once a man in San Francisco walking along the Golden Gate Bridge 
and he saw a second man about to jump over the edge. He stopped him and said, surely it can't be that bad. You know, God loves you. The man who was about to jump got a tear in his eye and he said, are you a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu? What are you? The fellow said, I'm a Christian. And then the other guy said, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? And the guy says, I'm Protestant. He says, what franchise? I'm Baptist. So am I. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. That's a miracle. I am too. Are you Northern Baptist, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Northern Conservative Baptist. The other guy said, me too. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist or Northern Conservative Reform Baptist? Or, or Northern Conservative Reformed Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern Region. He says, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist Church Great Lakes Region. So am I. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1897? Or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. And the guy looked at him and said, die, heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. We have a tendency to divide. Last service, I think this lady thought it was a true story. She like starts like to, she like looks horrified, like she's gonna cry, like weeping over this man's lost life. But we, it's just a picture of even though the overarching message of the New Testament over and over and over and over again is that the mark of a healthy church and the mark of a healthy Christian is this devotion to love and unity. It's difficult, and it's always been difficult. It was difficult the time the Scripture was written, and it's probably more difficult now than maybe any time that I can think of. If for no other reason than what social media does is it it allows all of us to share every thought we have at any moment. And in the words of the great comedian, whose comedy I do not fully endorse, um, Ron White, next time you have a thought, let it go. But now we have this moment that every thought we have, we just throw on the internet, and then you add, add, add 24-hour cable news, which is purposely trying to amp you up and to polarize you. It's never been harder to live lives uh, devoted to to love and unity. It wasn't easy then. In some ways, it might be more difficult now. Living, devoting your life to love and unity requires devoting yourself to some key practices. I wanna share with you five key practices to help you pursue um, love and unity with your brothers and sisters. Here's the first thing. Pray for love and unity to start with you. One of the best things you can do as you pray is as you see prayers in the New Testament, prayers that that Jesus said, prayers that the apostles said, that as you see prayers in the New Testament, begin praying similar prayers for others and for yourself. Let me show you. So again, Paul writing to an actual church in Rome that was dealing with actual issues. Here's what he says. He says, may the God, so now he's praying, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Again, Paul's not writing this if everyone has a great attitude towards each other. He's not wasting his time. These people are struggling. They're having some difficulty. So that with one mind, so we see unity language, 
one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul's praying is that God would help them to, to, to live in love and unity with one another. And, 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 he, and when, he, when they do that, God's gonna be glorified. And then he gives them the first tip of how to do it. He says, accept one another, then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And so as you d devote yourself to love and unity, a great practice is to pray. Say, pray, God, God, would you help me? Would you empower me by your spirit, the God who gives encouragement and endurance and strength? Would you help me to do it? Because I'm struggling on my own. W would you, this person that I'm struggling to love well, this person that I'm struggling to be in unity with, God, would you help me to, to be in, to have love and unity with them. And so pray for love and unity to start with you. Here's the next thing. Choose humility. Choose humility. I'm going to give you some, what, what does that even mean? Here's the thing. Humility says, I am not better than them. Humility says, I'm not better than them. I, I'll be honest. I don't know if it's, you know, my British heritage coming from people that just ruled the world for hundreds of years or growing up in Texas, where you just think by the nature of you being Texan that you're just the best humans alive. <laughs> Anyone here grow up in Texas? Anyone connect to that? You, you know what I'm saying, right? It's like, you just can't even help it. And so there's moments where I'll encounter people that, that have had, maybe had different experiences than I have had or different perspectives on the world than I have. Where, where my instinct, just instinct as a fallen human, is to look at them through the lens that I am somehow better. And that what the Bible calls that is haughty eyes. It's the first thing on the list that God hates is our predisposition to think, well, well they vote differently than me, that I'm, I'm definitely better, or, or their perspective on this issue or this issue is different than mine, then that our instinct is I'm better, but humility recognizes God loves them as much as he loves me. Jesus died for them just like Jesus died for me. I'm not better. Humility says this, God's not done with them yet, and he's not done with me either. Sometimes we look at people where they're at in their journey and, and, they, and we just have a tendency to judge and think, well, well, they're falling short in this area or they're falling short in this area or I can't believe they still do this or they still that. And, and, and what you're not looking at is you're not looking at the larger trajectory, not of where they are, but where God's brought them from. And so we all have this recognition and gratitude that, that, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it, but he hasn't completed it yet. We still too are growing. And, and so looking at, at others through the lens of God's not done with them yet, just like God's not done with me. Choose humility. A great thing to look at when people seem just very different than you is, is just saying God has, may have made us different for a reason. Yeah, have you ever thought, you ever, some, you ever have this fantasy where like everyone looks at every issue the way you do? Well, if everyone just saw this issue the way I do, then it would be a perfect world. And I will sometimes have those thoughts and about 10 seconds in, I'm like, I think if there were 8 billion of me, I don't think it'd be a better world. I think one of me is plenty. 
But recognizing God makes different people with different, different, that have different gifts, different personalities, different passions, people that have had different experiences. Here's an, another truth. That you might, we're gonna say this one together. Say this with me. I am not always right. Let's try that together. I am not always right. That's the essence of humility. I am not always right. Here's how, here's how not always right we are. I am so not always right, I'm not even right about the things I might be wrong about. I don't even know all the things I might be wrong about. I am not always right, and my perspective is almost never complete. I am not always right, and my perspective is not always complete. The way that I who have, have lived in middle-class America my whole life, the way I look at a broad set of issues is going to be different than, than someone that's lived in another place or someone that's lived in another time. My perspective is almost never complete, e even about God. Now, there's some things that are just crystal clear. Who is Jesus? How are we saved? These basic, these basic essentials of what it means to be Christian. But the apostle Paul, in talking about this perspective issue about God, he says, but now we see in a mirror dimly. What he's saying is, is we don't know all there is to know about God. He says, but one day when we're with him, we will see face to face. And so I, I, I'm not always right, and, there's, uh, and my perspective is rarely complete. There are other people that have had different experiences, have, have had different uh, um, upbringings, that, that they might see issues from a different perspective than I do. I don't see every side of every issue. My perspective is rarely complete. Here's another thing. Even if I'm, this is humility here. Even if, I'm fairly sure that I am right. Some of you out there are like, no, Dave, you, you don't understand how often I'm right. It's so often. And you don't understand what a, a wonderfully per perfect perspective I have on all the issues. This is for you. Even if you are fairly sure you are right, on a whole lot of things, it's okay that not everyone knows it. Not everyone has to know that you're right about everything. They will be okay without a lot of it. That's humility. Here's something that really spoke to me as I was thinking about this this week. And when you find yourself with a conflict and you find yourself feeling like you're mostly right and they're mostly wrong, and this, and, this, and this principle, I believe, applies to about 90, 95% of issues. There's no doubt some issues where it's more complex. And, but here's this. Jesus happily chose to take my blame when he was 100% in the right. I can take the blame sometimes when I believe that I am mostly in the right. Jesus happily chose to take my blame when he was 100% in the right. And obviously this doesn't apply to every single situation. There's unique situations, but here's the truth. A mark of Christian maturity 
is the ability to be the first one to sincerely apologize. It's just part of being humble. And so if I'm going to pursue love and unity, I have to recognize that, that I am certain Jesus is coming back, but I may be wrong on my thoughts on the details of how it's all gonna work out. I, I don't know everything there is to know about that. I don't have, and, and that people, great Christians throughout church history, given where they were living and the situations and where and the situations in which they were living and the perspective that they had, they had wildly different ideas about what the return of Jesus was going to look like than the books that they sell at the Christian bookstore today. I don't have to be right about all those details. I, I, I can recognize I don't have all the perspective of every Christian that's ever lived on that, but I'm, I'm confident that Jesus is coming back, but I don't have to talk you into agreeing with me about the details of how it's all going to work out. And so choose humility. Here's the next thing. Celebrate diversity. If I'm gonna, pers- if I'm gonna be devoted to love and unity, I've got to celebrate diversity. We all tend to like people who look like us and see the world the way we do. And and, and here's the thing, the early Christians, they were Jewish and they thought that God loves us most and that the Messiah was just for them to the point that that when the gospel was going to begin to go to non-Jewish people, God had to give Peter a vision so he could get it, this idea that God doesn't just love people that look like you and think like you. He loves other people too. So Peter has this grandiose vision and then comes to this declaration, Acts 10, 34. He says, then Peter began to speak, I now realize I've had this aha moment God's not a racist is basically his aha moment. I mean, just read it. You can just read it. I now realize after this crazy vision how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. His mind is blown that God doesn't just love people that look like him and think like him. And I think sometimes our mind is also blown by that. And, and, and so here's the thing, he has this, it was 10, 10 verses later. Peter talks about the next thing that happens. He says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, the circumcised believers, the, the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. So Peter has this dramatic vision where where he finally gets it. Oh, God loves people that don't look like me and look at every issue exactly like I do. And then God radically saves these people. And then all these Jewish believers are, are, are literally astonished. Like, oh, God loves them too. It was this big issue that, that would, would shape so much of, 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 of Scripture and the early church, this issue of, 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 of God-loving people that, that weren't simply Jewish. Paul reinforces the beauty of diversity and how the gospel's for all kinds of people. You see in Colossians 3.11, he says, here, there is no Gentile or Jew. He says, God isn't concerned what your ethnic heritage is or what you believed before you came to Jesus. 
He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The one of the things that was most unique about the early church and just fueled its, its growth like wildfire is it was the most inclusive um, religious group the world had ever seen. So many other religions that were, that were vying for attention in the day were either simply based on, on, on nationalism like this is what this country believes, or, or they were vi or very much separated by class. How, how uh, hey, this is, if you, so many of the, the mystery religions where you had to have a certain amount of wealth to, to even to begin to dabble in, in these things. And so there was this incredible separation of class and, and race and all of these things. And what Paul says is he says, he says, God doesn't care. It was the most inclusive group, people from every tribe and tongue and nation and slave and free and rich and poor. There was this incredible diversity I was reading the words of an Indian pastor, and he said this. He says, so much of the things, and I don't know what to think of this, but here's the words of this Indian pastor. He says, so many of the things that happen in the gathering of Hindus or Muslims in our country are very similar, even including miracles, are very similar to the things that happen in the Christian churches. He said, but the thing about the Christian churches in our country that, that is wildly different than any other religious group in his country was the fact of the diversity, that it wasn't just people who had one ethnic heritage or it wasn't just people of one caste or one class or one group, but there was this diversity across socioeconomic and religious status and, and, and it's this beautiful diversity. If I'm going to pursue love and unity, there is diversity. And here's the next thing, I'm gonna embrace grace. Again, we see Paul talking to an actual church and he says this, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. He says, he says hey, listen, there's gonna be moments that you're gonna wanna give up on each other. There's gonna be moments where, 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 where you can't even imagine still doing this. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's just this grace thing. Here's the thing, people that struggle, if you, I wanna ask you a question. If, you, if, if 10 Christians that know you best were to use words to define you, would the words include words like grace? Would the words include words like, hey, they are quick to forgive? Because here's what, I'm a big believer in this. Because here's what he says. As he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. My experience is this. People that struggle to just quickly dispense grace and forgiveness, one of a few things is true. One is they've never really experienced grace and forgiveness that comes in Christ. Maybe they're not even born again. Or maybe, they, maybe they've minimized, I believe a great many of us do this. 
I believe a great many of us subtly fall into this idea. If you look at sinners on a scale of one to 10 and one's not so bad, 10's really terrible, you're like, hey, before I met Jesus, I was a two, I was pretty close to, to, to going to heaven. I just saw my own works, but I was a little bit, I, there was a couple of little things and stole that piece of gum when I was nine years old. There's that one little thing I did. And, and it's so good that Jesus came to just kind of do that little thing I needed to get over the hump. And we don't think we needed that much grace. And we don't think we received that much grace. So we go through life stingy on grace. We're like, I really didn't need that much, didn't really get that much, so I'm not gonna give you very much. But when we really understand that the depths of, of the grace and forgiveness that we've received, it just, it, it just becomes nat naturally supernatural just to go through life recognizing I've received so much grace, I've, re I've received so much forgiveness, I I'm now just going to lavish it on others. It it's just this grace thing. It it's this, this is what it looks like to live um, in humility. Here's, here's this uh, next piece. Intentionally create space for Christ-centered community. If you're going to pursue, if you're going to be devoted to love and unity, you're going to need to be, create some time and some space in your life for Christ-centered community. At Life Church, we, we call that those life groups. I want to mention, uh, welcome the bronze to the stage. Let's give it up for these guys. These guys are pastors of adult ministries, lead out in all of our life groups. If you're not sure how to connect to life groups, they can absolutely help you. Guys, take a few minutes, talk about life groups. Yeah, um, we're so excited. I love today. Today's one of my favorite days where we launch our fall life groups. And here's the thing, and as Dave was reading that, uh, that last scripture there, that's exactly what we want our life groups to embody. In fact, those are the, the characteristics that we look for in the people that are leading these life groups to be full of compassion, full of humility. And life groups are really the heartbeat of life church. We believe that that's where you grow, that's where you find friendship, it's where you find community, it's where you do life together. In all the seasons of life, the, the bad times, the grieving times, loss of jobs, and then the celebrations, the births, and launching your kids into the world and, and, and the marriages. And that is the, uh, the heartbeat of what we want. And the second piece of that is, um, we, this is where you grow spiritually. That every week, the majority of our groups are sermon-based groups, and uh, we write something called Digging Deeper every single week, where it allows you to engage with the sermon on Sunday. It also allows you to engage with it on a totally different day, ask questions, apply it into your life, and the more that you do this, the, the more that you'll just notice this steady growth. And uh, so that is my encouragement to you. I, you know, uh, Christy was talking with a, a lady from our life group yesterday and had a super awesome uh, story. Yeah, um, I was talking with my friend Megan yesterday and she said something that I had never heard before when, when mentioning life groups. And we were talking about testimonies and really precious stories that have come from our life group. And she said, there's been a ton of incredible testimonies and they're sacred. And when she said that word sacred, I thought, I don't think I've ever heard such an accurate description of life groups as that word. And I was really moved by what she said. And I actually, um, I wrote this, life groups are sacred. They are a place where you have such love and such care and such unity with one another that their stories become sacred to you. Their lives become sacred to you. Their walk with Christ becomes sacred to you. Their families and their marriages 
become sacred to you. Their hopes and dreams and losses become sacred to you. And you truly do life together. And that's what we want for all of you guys. We want you to have this place, a safe place of community where you can grow together. Yeah, that's, that's so good. It, you know, to, to wrap up here, guys, we have a ton of groups outside. We've got men's groups. We have women's groups. Uh, we've got sermon-based groups. We've got some classes. We have connect groups. If you're looking for something more low-key, more on the social front, we even have a golf group for anyone that loves to golf out there. Um, here's the thing. 12 years ago, when Christy and I were, were brand new in Life Church, we actually snuck out of a day just like today, and we were looking at all the groups because we didn't want to be pressured and we didn't want to have to meet a bunch of people. We, we wanted to do our own shopping. I'm not saying for any of you to leave right now. But as you guys walk out today, there's going to be tables. The leaders will be there. Um, and here's the thing. Our leaders are awesome. They're warm. They're engaging. And if they have a grumpy face on, tell them to put a smile on because they should be warm and engaging because they are. Because And that's what we want is to have a place where you guys connect. For anyone that's watching online, we have group signups through the Church Center app. You can sign up for those. We want you to find community, whether that's online or in person. Um, we love you guys so much. Life groups are launching September 11th, uh, the week of September 11th. And so the groups will stay open online for until they fill up. Um, so come out, find us today. We will help you guys uh, find a group uh, for wherever you're at in life. Thanks. Let's give, give it up for the bronze. Hey, so many groups and classes. Many will fill up today. I'm excited for all these. You can sign up online uh, with lifechurchreno.com or the Church Center app or out at those tables. But I'm excited. Excited for all the groups. One, a great class that if you've never taken, I'd encourage you to do is called Crown Financial. Pastor Scott and also uh, Al Cartledge, both of these guys love Jesus, both of them CPAs, both of them successful entrepreneurs, and just some of the best guys I know, super smart. If you've never done that class, I'd encourage that to be one that you do, even in addition to your regular life group. Here's the last thing and we're done. We devote ourselves to Christian love and unity because this was Jesus's dying wish for us. A few minutes, we would take communion together, but to put it in context, this is right after the Last Supper. Jesus has just taken communion. We're gonna take it all together in a minute as a, just a picture of our unity, and so we'll know when that moment is. But what the context here is Jesus has just uh, had the, the Last Supper, where he institutes the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist. Uh, he, it's his first moment, him and his disciples. And he says, hey, this bread, it's a picture of my body that I'm about to give for you. And this wine, it's a picture of my blood that I'm about to shed for you. They have the most holy moment that may have ever happened up until this point in human history. They, they wrap it up and, and then the disciples kind of restart the argument that they've been having off and on for three years. Which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us is Jesus's favorite? Which one of us is gonna be vice president of heaven? It's like how, I love when those guys look so stupid because it just makes me feel better about being so stupid, you know? And, and, and so they have this most holy moment. Now they start arguing about which one's the greatest. And then Jesus prays, the prayer that he prays right before he gets arrested. John 17, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. Jesus says, I'm not just praying for these that are following me now. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about us. And then look at this. Here's what Jesus says. So Jesus says, well, you, have to, you have to think about it. Whatever someone says when they know they're about to die, you, you know this is important stuff. 
The, the prayer that someone chooses to pray when they know that, that they're about to experience the most difficult, painful thing that, that any human's ever experienced, and they know they're about to die, it's very, it's very important stuff. And here Jesus is gonna say the same thing a couple of different ways. He's gonna repeat himself for us because he knows we need to hear it. He says, I pray for all those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us. And then he tells us why this is so important. Big deal. He says, I pray that they would be one, just like you and me are one, he says to the Father. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. What Jesus here is saying is, this is such high stakes stuff. The way in which we, as followers of Jesus, devote ourselves to, to Christian love and unity with one another he says the way in which we do this is the, the, the single biggest factor in the believability of if Jesus really is who he says he is. He says that they might believe that you have sent me. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they, and then now he's just gonna repeat himself. I don't believe it's for the sake of the Father, I believe it's for our sake. He says that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, as we are gonna take communion in a minute, there's this thing where we're recognizing that, that Jesus gave his body and Jesus shed his blood so that, that we could have this oneness with God, so that, that, that we could, could have this union with him. But there is, in nearly equal measure, this reality that, that Jesus is saying, as, as you have union with me, you are also all in this union with one another. And so when we take, when we eat the bread and we drink this, this juice, this wine, what, what we're doing is, is we're declaring that because of what Jesus did in the gospel, his death in our place, his resurrection, our, our trusting in him, following Jesus, it's, it's given us this, this union, this, this union with God, but it has also given us this same union with one another. There was this Welsh, Welshman who was a preacher in London in the end of the, from 1899, he was born, died in 1981, kind of a legendary guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was kind of a mentor of my dad and just wrote a lot of books. And here's what he says, that he says this. He says, there is one more thing that is represented by the bread and the wine. And that is this, the union of believers with one another. They are not only joined to Christ. They are all joined to one another. And then now he's gonna quote the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, the Apostle Paul has taught us this. He writes, the cup of blessing, the, the wine, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? He says this, then notice this, for we being many are one bread and one body and are all partakers of that one bread. 
You see, through most of church history, when people had a lot less fear of germs and churches were smaller, it was usually you'd have a common cup of wine. You always wanted to be the first one in that line. <laughs> you'd have this common cup and you'd have this common loaf and, and it would be this, this picture of, of our, our union with God, but also our union with each other, this idea of communion, communion, that together we're in union with God because of the work of Jesus, but we are also in union with one another. And so it's, it's because of this, because, because it's, because Jesus died that we might have these relationships that, that we devote ourselves to Christian love and unity. And so, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for his broken body. We thank you for his shed blood. Lord, we thank you for the union that we have in you because of what Christ has done. And Lord, would you give us just a, a special glimpse today, a deeper understanding of what does it really mean for us to devote ourselves to Christian love and Christian unity? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.